0: Woman shares a story. She says, A number of years ago, my husband and I had a wonderful opportunity to vacation in Europe. In about three and a half weeks, we visited 13 different nations. We'd enter into a country, we'd get our passports stamped. We'd exchange currencies, learn a few key phrases, and then oft we go to visit the natives. We'd wander through the markets, peruse museums, and sample the local cuisine. We'd exchange a few niceties with the locals, sat on some steps of cathedrals, And watch the life of the town go by. Maybe take a picture or two. And purchase a little something to remind us of our time there. And then we were off. We had a wonderful vacation. Our hearts weren't changed in any significant ways by our little visits. But then again they weren't really meant to be we were tourists she says it seems to me that what i've just described is close or very close to many people's understanding of congregational church life on any given weekend or any given day many tourists can be found in churches They pop in for about 45 minutes to a half hour, sing a chorus or two, exchange some niceties with the locals, sample some of the local cuisine and they might even purchase a book or two to remind them of their visit and then they race to their cars to get to their favorite restaurant or to get home before the start of the game. For many, many people in America, church is simply about being a tourist, and our land is filled with many tourist-friendly churches. Folks, why are you here today? Are you a tourist? Did you just come to be entertained? You just come to be get some pieces of information, take them home, put them in your back pocket. And then forget about everything that occurred here. You know, there was a survey that was asked to many people who attend churches. And they were asked, why do they go to church on a Sunday? 43% said to grow closer to God. 38% said to learn more about God. And 34% said they go because the Bible tells them to go. Why do you go to church and what seems to be absent is exactly what is taking place in the passage here today This is the first gathering of the local church the first gathering of the church apart from Jesus Christ after he's ascended into heaven and what are they doing when they gathering The same thing that you and I are to be doing when we gather, whether it be on a Sunday or any other day throughout the week, we get together to get ready. That's exactly what they're doing. They are gathering together so that they can be ready for the mission that God has called them to do. They are preparing to go out into the world and be a witness for Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians tells tells us about the giving of pastors and evangelists and prophets is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, folks, Here is a gym for out there. Amen? I want you to come here, and I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be challenged, and I want you to be changed, and I want you to be ready to go out there and fulfill the calling that Christ has called each and every one of us to, and that is to be his witness. That is exactly what they are doing in this passage, and I hope that that is the reason that you are here today. I hope that you get better equipped being here this morning, and I hope that this is a priority in your life. I hope it's a priority in my life, and I hope it's a priority in your life. Sundays or whatever day it is that we gather together, we can put aside all the distractions of the world and we can prioritize the calling that God has on our lives as a church corporately and as individuals. Exactly what they were doing at the penny store this past weekend. Being the church. Being a witness for Jesus Christ. Broke this passage down into three components. The three components that we see Uh, what they did when they got together, and three components that we need to be doing as a corporate body of believers to be prepared for the mission that Christ has us to do. The first component that we see here is we pray in unity, verses 12 through 14, and then again, we see prayer in verses 24 through 25. Starting in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem... "...from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And then again, in verse 24, And they prayed, and they said, Lord, you, you know the hearts of all men. Which one of these two have you chosen to occupy the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place? How many people have ever played the game Scattergories? You ever play Scattergories? Great game. Great family game. Sarah and Day and I play the game all the time. And even though I win all the time, they continue to play, which actually makes them probably want to play. But we, we love playing this game, categories. So if you ever play categories, it's this, these lists. And they have all these categories on these lists. So it could be a boy's name. It could be, you know, things you are scared of or things you dream about. And then you roll a die that has 26 letters of the alphabet on it. You roll the die. And whatever letter comes up, every, every, every category has to begin with that letter. And we love this game, but it, it never fails that while we're playing this game, something happens. And we call it the sync. So we'll be playing this game, and it only happens from Sarah. Sarah either syncs up with me, or she syncs up with Adia. And you're trying to pick different answers than the other person. Because if you pick the same answer, you don't get the point. And then the other person ends up getting the point. But it, it, without fail, Sarah is able to sync up with one of us. And it could be the most random answer in the world. Sarah links right up to your mind. And there you are. And you're like, eh, she's never going to get this answer. And then you say it. And she's like, hey, that's what I have. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to cross that out. And then a day, and I look at each other and we go, the sync is complete. It's almost as if we share a brain at that moment. And it happens throughout the list. She'll do like, and if she links with someone, that's it. She's stuck with that person for the entire list. Folks, that is exactly what they are doing here in this passage. They are sharing one mind. They are praying in unity. We are going to see prayer come up. So much in the book of Acts. It is unbelievable. The first thing that the church does after being told to wait for the Holy Spirit and after being told what their mission is going to be is they pray. Do we see the importance of that? There is absolutely nothing we should do that is not covered in prayer because it reveals who we depend on. We're not dependent on us. We're not dependent on our strategy. We're not dependent on our budget. We're not dependent on our building. We're not dependent on our worship. We're not dependent on my preaching We're dependent on the Holy Spirit to work through those things. Amen? And they pray with one goal in mind. And and the context tells us what that is. What were they one mind? What were they united in? They are united in the mission that God has called them to do, that Jesus Christ just told them. They are praying about that mission and what we, what we see happens here is this prayer leads to God revealing a hole or a gap in the mission or in their church and how they need to fill that. They are unified in prayer over the mission that Jesus Christ has for them. And I wanna point something out here, we might, we might miss this. But it's kind of interesting, Luke gives this list of individuals and we know in the next verse how many people were there, 120 people. Number one, the, the first church, the first local gathering and congregation is a church about this size. And what did it do? It changed the world and it began with prayer. Do you think there were a lot of different opinions with 120 people? Do you think there are a lot of different personalities with 120 people? I mean, just name a few, right? You got Peter. Peter can, can shake up the whole thing. And then you got the sons of thunder, James and John. And then you have everyone else that's involved. But notice, he, he lists all of these different people, With all of these different backgrounds, all of these different talents and abilities, all of these different opinions, but what? They have what? One mind. Amen? One mind. Their goal is the goal of Jesus Christ. And that only gets enhanced when they have the Holy Spirit. Folks, a church that is united on the mission of Christ that is dependent upon His Spirit is absolutely unstoppable. Unstoppable. We see this as one of the first things that they do. Well, Pastor Mark, we don't we don't do that on Sundays. We don't really pray in that. I'm glad you mentioned that. We do do that every Tuesday night, don't we? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this when I was looking at this verse, and we are seeing some really positive changes here at Galilee. Very, very happy with the way things are going. We're very in a good place, very healthy. And then I remembered something. 2020, two individuals, two members of this church, faithful members of this church, come up to Kevin and I and say, We want to start a weekly prayer group. Do you think that's a coincidence? Throughout the book of Acts, many, many of God's redemptive acts are preceded by prayer. I hope and pray, number one, that we are doing this and continue to do this corporately. I hope that you can go to a Tuesday night prayer group and join them as they pray for the people in this church and as they pray for the outreach in this community. And I hope and pray that during your individual prayer that you are praying for God to open doors, for God to change hearts, for God's kingdom to expand through the people in this church. That's how things are going to change. It starts with prayer, and it starts with you, and it starts with me, and it starts with us. I hope I am persuading you because that's our next point. What else do we do When we gather, well, we preach. We preach God's Word, but we preach how? We preach persuasively. We preach for change and transformation. I'm a little biased on this point. You can see that, so sorry. Verses 15 through 22. At this time, so all this, they're praying And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, and he gives them a little mini-sermon, which was a gathering of about 20 persons that were gathered there together. When you see the parentheses in this part, it's Luke adding this in, and Peter says, Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas." who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man, this is Luke, now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language the field was called Hakeldama. That is the field of blood. And Peter, again, for it, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from, from us, One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In his book, Chase the Lion, Mark Batterson shares this. He says, shortly after being installed as the 20th pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, In Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered a sermon in November of 1954 titled Transformed Nonconformist. He said, The Christian is called upon not to be like a thermometer conforming to the temperature of his society. But he must be like a thermostat, serving to transform the temperature of his society. I've seen many white people who sincerely oppose segregation and discrimination, said King. But they never took a real stand against it because of fear of standing alone. Are you willing, not just to stand, but to stand alone? He said to his congregation. About a year later, December 1st, 1955, someone who heard that sermon, a transformed nonconformist, boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus just five blocks from the pulpit where he delivered that sermon. When the white section filled up with passengers, The bus driver ordered Rosa Parks to give up her seat in the colored section. She politely refused. Rosa Parks took a moral stand by remaining seated. What is the purpose of a sermon? What is the purpose that we gather here today? Is it so that you can get more information? Is it you can go and impress people with all your Bible knowledge? Is it so that I entertain you? And you leave away and you're like, oh, what a swell pastor. He's so nice to me. Is it so that you walk away feeling good about yourself? Or is it to change you? Is it to transform you? Is it a call to believe? And is it a call to action? I wish I had thought of this point. I didn't really think of this point. You're saying, Pastor Mark, you gave the point. <laughs> I knew he was preaching in this. And I looked at it and I'm sitting, okay. They're preparing, they're gathered for church, and oh, Peter's given a sermon. He stands up. But what is he doing with his preaching? He is calling them to change something, to do something so that they can be better prepared for the work that Christ has them to do. And I, I didn't think of that part. He's persuading them. I opened up a commentary, and that was the first thing I saw. And I'm like, That's it. He's not just giving them information about Judas. He is persuading them to action. That's the point of a sermon. That's the point of of God's Word. God's Word is not given to us so that I'm better informed. It's so that I am transformed into the image of Christ so that I can obey His will. And I hope... That's why you're here today. I hope you've come to be challenged. You may not like sometimes what I say. I try not to offend you intentionally. You may not like what some other preachers say up here, what Kevin says up here, what some of the elders fill in up here, but that is not the goal. The goal is not to make us feel good about ourselves. The goal is to transform us. And to change us. Dr. Michael Kruger, one of the staff at Reformed Theological Seminary, was asked, what is missing from many sermons today? And he gets to go around and hear a whole bunch of pastors preach as part of his job. He hears students come in and preach. And he said they they give good sermons, they they give a lot of information. He says, I hear a lot of pastors proclaim, I hear a lot of pastors announce, I hear a lot of pastors tell, he said, but I see a lot fewer of them persuading. One gentleman says the test of the preacher is when his congregation doesn't go away just saying, what a lovely sermon, but I'm going to do something. Peter gives, and if you look at Peter's sermons throughout the book of Acts, he is persuading people particularly to what? To believe, to believe in Jesus Christ, to give their life to Jesus Christ. And here he is persuading the church to take action so that they can be better ready for the mission that Christ has given them to do. Peter gives a really, really good sermon here. Uh, number one, you see, a lot of times when we look at a passage, we try to, we go into a passage of the Bible and we implant our own idea in the passage. Peter allows the Bible passage to give the thrust of the message. So he takes the Bible passage, he interprets it, he interprets it properly, and then he applies it to his congregation. And he says, hey, and he's trying to get them to do two things. He wants them to believe something and he wants them to do something. The first thing that he wants them to believe is that, hey, this situation that we find ourselves in, guess what? This wasn't not known to God. Matter of fact, the situation that we find ourselves in was because of God's sovereignty and because this prophecy regarding Judas was fulfilled. He's convincing them of God's sovereignty in the situation that they find themselves, do you think that's applicable for us? Do you think that's a good truth to believe? God's sovereignty in our life, especially in the life of the church, when things that, that seem bad happen. How about the pandemic? Do you think God knew that that was coming to the church? Absolutely. So our job during that time is, Lord, you know about this. What are we to do? How do we continue your mission given the circumstance that we find ourselves in? God knew about this problem all the time, the whole time. It was predicted. Peter interprets that correctly. He applies it to the congregation. That's a good sermon. And then he doesn't stop there. Where does he go? He says, therefore, given this scripture, we need to act. And he says it is necessary. It's a need, not a want. There's a lot of things we may want to hear. There's a lot of things we may think we need. When we divide the word accurately, God tells us what we need. And here, they need to take action. It's one of the reasons I chose the book of Acts. We all need to change, we all need to change. We all need to grow more and more into the image of Christ in obedience to God's will. Does everyone agree with that? Yes, all of us. I do. You do. We all need to hear his word to see exactly how he was working in the early church. And we need to apply that word to our lives. And you and I need to do the same or allow him to do the same through us. That is, that is the one reason, one of the main reasons I chose this book. is because I want to see God do exactly what He was doing here in the early church through the people I'm looking at today. And I believe He could do that. And, and if we listen to His Word, if we hear His Word, and we obey His Word, there is nothing stopping that. Our goal isn't to... It's to preach messages or to hear messages that are just going to tickle our ears, folks. That's, that's happening all over the place right now. That's happening all over the place. America is not short of on any churches that are just trying to make people feel good about themselves, that are just trying to not challenge people. Peter challenges them. He calls them to action because they need to be prepared for the mission. And the third and final component that we see here is we position ourselves purposely. We fill positions to make us successful in the work that he has called us to do. So all these things that are happening, it doesn't mean they all happen on a Sunday. But they happen when the church is gathered. As a matter of fact, we did this, this positioning, just the previous Sunday at the, at the annual meeting, didn't we? Verses 23 through 26. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. A few years ago, Toys R Us did a, a huge outreach strategy. This is back in two thousand and ten, and due to the economic downturn and tough competition, com- tough competition, they changed their strategy. Specifically, in 2010, Toys R Us planned to invade shopping malls around the country by opening 600 express stores and by hiring 10,000 part-time seasonal employees. Rather than waiting for customers to come to their traditional stores, Toys R Us found ways to reach out. was all part of their big vision to share their products with the world according to CEO Gerald Storch he said we've been aggressive about reaching people during the economic downturn and this is another aggressive action spurred on by their previous year's success they were not asking how can we survive this year but how big can we make this The author says it was an impressive display of creative, visionary thinking about how to reach people where they're at. Church is not a business, or is it to function like one? But the church can learn from Toys R Us, can't they? They strategize, and they position themselves for success. And positioning themselves for success includes people filling positions. (laughs) It's exactly what we did at our annual meeting. There's a list of people that are volunteering for what? Positions in the church so that we can be successful in the mission that God has for us to do. Jesus chose 12. Judas turns aside. Now, There's a vacancy. This is the first pulpit committee, and it went through very smoothly, didn't it? There was not an argument, not a real long search process. We should have, you know, maybe this is something the church can learn. Maybe we just need to start casting lots again for people. I think that's what I'm going to do, start filling positions in this church. Nursery, boom, that's you, baby. Right there. No, God said it, not me. You're going in. We'll see you in five years. <laughs> but, I, but one of the big things here is that the church, the work of the church cannot be done without the people in the church, right? Because the people are the church. They don't really talk to these two guys, do they? I mean, I'm not going to make an argument from silence. I didn't ask them, hey, do you guys you feel like doing this? Are you, are you called to do this? Let me pray about it. And then eight years later, Matthias comes back. I think I'm good to go. <laughs> Is that he? Nothing said. They just put these two forward and they're like, hey, you got the qualifications. We're going to let the Lord discern your heart. And there you go. Welcome to the ministry. Folks, the work, work of the church needs. People, in order to do it. In, in order for us to succeed in the mission that Christ has us to do, we need you to fill those positions. It's not what was wanted, it was what was needed. And there was qualifications, and those qualifications were what? For the success of the mission. You, know, you A couple years back, We needed a pastor, and we needed a pastor who was going to be really good and focused on outreach. Who do we have? Pastor Kevin. Why? Because he meets the qualifications, he had the passion, and he had the character as well. It's not just the doctrine that was important for us, it's the heart that matters. Two things, doctrine, character. Resurrection, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then character. Lord, you know their hearts. Two things that are important in positions, especially leadership positions in the church. They put forth the possible replacements, they pray, and God provides. Don't you wish all pulpit committees or church decisions can go like that? Nice and easy. One of the key components that we are to do as we gather together is to pray to the Lord, to ask him to reveal what we need in the church in order to be more successful, and then to pray to the Lord to fulfill that need, to provide those individuals or whatever it is that is needed to help us carry out the mission. Folks, one of the main reasons that we gather together is to serve. Service. That's what these guys are doing. They are serving in the local church to help with the mission that Jesus Christ has given them to do. And here in this gathering, they are preparing to do that. Guys, I'm going to focus on you for a second because of the context of this. These are the leaders. These are the early church leaders, these are the apostles, or in our equivalent, they are the elders, aren't they? L- let me ask you, do we need elders in the church right now? Yes, we do. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, over the past couple years, we've had to, we, we, we amended the Constitution because we are actually keeping guys on longer than they were originally allowed to be kept on for to be an elder. Why is that? No one's stepping up. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I don't want to make you feel bad. It's going to tell you very practically. The church cannot function without elders. It's absolutely imperative. The key to those elders, solid doctrine, solid belief, and solid character, their heart. And the Lord knows our hearts, doesn't He? He knows what you're able to do. And he knows what he's calling you to do. And he knows what you are prioritizing in your life right now. He knows all of that. It is comforting and it is scary and convicting, isn't it? He knows how much we're focused on this mission. And, and not just for elders, but for, for everyone that is involved in this church, he knows. He knows. He knows where he wants you to serve. Right now, there are plenty of vacancies. Plenty of vacancies. All Throughout all of our ministries. A lot of times, it's uh, same folks over and over and over again doing the same things can't happen in a church. This is a a, a team effort. Each and every single one of us is called. Each and every single one of us is given a gift to contribute to the body of Jesus Christ. Each and every single one of us is given the Holy Spirit to use that gift to further the kingdom of God. Is God putting you forward right now? How are you serving or what position are you filling here at Galilee to help with this mission? Or, go back to our opening illustration, are you just a tourist? Just coming in and taking in, gathering the sights and smells and sounds or whatever it is, and then headed home. Something more important. 120 people. 120 people. That was the gathering of the first church. They gathered together to get ready for the mission that Christ has them to do. They prayed in unity. Peter preached persuasively and they position themselves purposely. I can't wait to see what God's going to do through us. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenge of Your Word, Lord. I pray that we hear Exactly what you are saying to us today. Pray that I hear it. And I pray that everyone gathered here or listening online hears it. And I pray we don't just hear it, we respond. We can only do that through your Holy Spirit. We thank you and praise you for that grace.